Hello, Mike here, founder of Talk About It Mate, for season two, episode 11 of the Talk About It Mate podcast. Well, this was a decent one, really decent one. Uh, probably our most high profile guest as well uh, so far, which shows that we're you know, attracting the kind of people who are really making a massive difference in the, in terms of mental health. Our guest is Mark Williams, and he is a, an advocate for men's mental health, but in particular, father's mental health, and by extension, the mental health of parents during the uh, the period of you know having children and, and and how things can be exacerbated in those stages. Mark's got a great personal story, and by that I mean he you know, brings a lot of his own experiences to the work that he does. He's founded International Fathers Mental Health Day with uh, World Health Organization and you know worldwide. Uh, hashtag How Are You Dad is something that you need to check out. He's also done TED Talk. You know, he's just really passionate, passionate and just a really nice guy. And he was diagnosed with ADHD at 40, amongst other things. And for me, that's something I want to delve into for my own personal story. And just to add to it, you know, the cherry on the top, I uh, was joined by Sonia as our co-host, you know, to add a third voice to the conversation. You might remember Sonia from season one, episode four. Sonia's uh, my mentor, was, you know, had counselling with Sonia and, and somebody who who has really given me that platform to express myself and grow. And, you know, the combination of people, I just love the chat and I really hope you do too. Mark's a top bloke and he's been pride of Britain. He's met the royal family. Uh, but more importantly than that, he's just a top guy and, you know, genuine. I like him. So I think that comes across. Anyway, enjoy it. Let us know what you think. What's your it? Welcome to the Talk About It Mate podcast. This is season two, episode 11, coming to the end of season two now. Uh, but I'm really excited. Uh, I think we've got a good lineup for you today. Um, and I'll come on to our main guest in a moment, but I always try and get somebody from the, the Talk About It Mate community uh, to provide another voice and to keep me in line mainly. Um, but uh, so today we've got um, Sonia on the podcast, and Sonia was on only our fourth ever podcast, season one, episode four. So uh, it's good to have you back, Sonia. How are you? I'm really good, thanks. It's good to be here. Yeah, so um, how has this whole experience been for you? I know I've seen you've done a lot on Facebook. You know, I'm really impressed with your posts and things like that. Yeah, um, well, since the last time I spoke to you, is it coming up to a year? I'm not too sure. It must be over a year, I think, since we did that. Really? Um, yeah. Private practice has really grown. Um, online community with COVID has really grown. So most of my work now has been on Zoom the last couple of months. Um, just starting going into some new territory of outdoor therapy. So um, um, I offer outdoor therapy now. One of my real loves is hiking. So I'm about to go on an outdoor therapy course in Kent. And I will soon be offering half day and full day hikes while talking and interacting with somebody so that's my next thing that I've got on the, the burner um, but just focusing on well being at home isn't everybody and um, I've applied for my accreditation in counselling which has been a massive piece of work for me um, what else have been doing just CPD yeah. sessions you know and building my Facebook page to offer people help while they're at home so they can read articles look at videos and just prompt thought really of actually how can i help myself empower people so been really busy that sounds amazing um and as someone what really wise once told me if you've got a good idea just do it there we go three words let's do <laughs> yeah. it <laughs> and, and here we are today with uh, with our um but I, I hope this is going to be our best podcast today I've, I've got a good vibe about it um so we're going to introduce our, our main guest and uh, he is I would say a very good personality in the mental health community he's, he's done a lot of work very passionate and I'd say a good advocate a good role model for me mental health of men and, and and the parents so Mark Williams 
why don't you introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, thanks for asking me. Um, obviously, uh, I'm a campaigner. I've been campaigning for nearly 10 years now. Uh, and um, known for fathers, but obviously parents and youth yeah. work and all, all other things. But uh, I'm a speaker and, yeah, I've done a couple of roles, author, public books, uh, with the help of a, a mentor doctor who's been with me for like nine years. So, um, no, it's great. And uh, I'm a founder of International Fathers Mental Health Day, which is now registered on the time to change calendar, like uh, World Mental Health. So it's a proper recognised day now. So, yeah, it's good. It's all good. <laughs> sounds, sounds amazing. Um, and, and is it June the 19th, is, is it? Uh, June the 22nd. It's always a day after Father's Day. Always a day after Father's Day. Uh, and the reason behind that, you've got Happy Father's Day, and then on a Monday, not everyone's that happy on, a, you know, on that Monday. So, uh, yeah, no, it's grown. It's getting good. So uh, it's great. But thanks, honestly, thank you for inviting me, because... Uh, um, I love having these just open conversation. I think sometimes that's what it's all about, having an open conversation about mental health, you know. And um, if, if it helps anyone on the podcast, yeah, definitely it's worth always worth it. Yeah, that, I think that's what we're all about. And, and, and when it comes to getting people on the podcast, both of you, people who can speak openly. And it, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm having this big thing at the, mo- at the moment about role models in mental health and well-being because... I think I've been spending a lot of my time on Instagram recently and obviously you see a lot and and it, and I, sometimes I'm thinking that's great but sometimes it's an unrealistic model yeah. of, of what you know everyone should take from it what's right for them but then when your mental health is struggling I know from my own experiences you want to you then you'll compare or or think I'm not not worth something because I'm not like this and and it can be quite damaging at the same time. No, you're right. And I think when I first started social media was when I started raising awareness of mental health. And um, obviously, in the last three or four years, we've seen a massive uh, growth in, in, in awareness. Um, so, yeah, so even though social media has been really great for me, but um, I think sometimes it's, it's, uh, it's made connecting people like yourself uh, benefit from more. And uh, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just an ordinary guy from the valleys I am, you know, in hoodie on and that sort of thing. And uh, yeah, I'm just, yeah. I just think if it, uh, social media has got a good side and also it's got that competitive side, which I'm not into really, if I'm honest. Mm. Definitely. So would you, do, would you like me to start? Like the, um, yeah, I mean, what led you to this point, really? Like, what, are the, what were the journey, I suppose? Yeah, yeah, no. Um, well, I'm from up the valleys, so it's very much of a, a man-up culture. Um, my father was a miner, my grandfather was a miner, my uncle was a miner, so... I'm actually the first generation not on the ground. I'm 46 now. I know I don't look it. I've got a couple of grey hairs, but um, um, but I am um, the first generation not on the ground. So, but unfortunately, in school for me, uh, I had a lot of low self-esteem. I don't blame the teachers at all. They were fantastic at that time. But especially in 80s school, you'd have a clip across a year, or you picked up the sideboards, uh, side I should say. Um, even the cane, you know, I've seen the back end of a cane once a couple of times actually. But I didn't know at the time I had an undiagnosed disorder called ADHD. So um, ADHD, as we know, is a disorder. You know, it, it, it happens in children and adults. And, um, but it wasn't for, my, my mother actually helped me where she took me to a youth club. And that youth club actually changed my life at eight years of age. And um, I got into sport and then uh, became a British champion, national champion. And sport really helped me with that confidence uh, a young, uh, youth, well, young I was, uh, youth worker helped me say, look, you can do anything we like. Don't let anyone tell you can't. And, and um, yeah, from, from 15, 16 then, obviously 16 left work, uh, school of 15, no qualifications. And then the rave scene started kicking in in 1990, which basically changed my life you know, drastically. You know? um, and I'm pretty open to say there was a lot of drugs and alcohol around that time. You know? so, um, and I, I'm the sort of person who falls in you know I'm so impulsive I'm I'm all or nothing sort of guy and uh, for seven years yeah I just yeah did a lot of party in the city definitely so yeah it was it was uh, it wasn't similar you probably see me on Ibiza uncovered somewhere uh, yeah. <laughs> um, sort of thing but um, but if it, if for me to carry on it's really changed my life and I met my yeah. wife Michelle and um I went into sales and marketing, and I was probably earning more money then than I am now, and uh, realized I could talk, I could listen, and uh, 
yeah, I started changing jobs a lot because I got bored. Boredom is a massive part. Uh, I need, I need stimulation. And um, so I was changing jobs a lot, but I was getting good money. And I was building a reputation in, uh, in that industry as well. So, um, so those skills helped me when I got into mental health years later, really. And uh, mm-hmm. so I had a nice company car, house, all that stuff, material stuff, which I'm not really interested in now, if I'm honest with you. And um, it wasn't until 22 hours later, and um, I remember, and I'm 30 years of age, the doctors came rushing in, and they said, Mr. Williams, your wife needs emergency C-section. We need to get her down to theatre quick. And I honestly thought I was going to lose my wife and baby in that situation. And um, it was the first time I actually had a panic attack. I've never had a panic attack like that ever before in my life. And what I witnessed in the theatre, what we know now is PTSD. So what is PTSD? So PTSD is an anxiety disorder, either witnessing or experiencing a life-threatening event. Michelle went on to have severe post-depression. We believe now it's more PTSD as well because the symptoms do overlap. And um, my wife, I was expecting to be back in work in two weeks. And all of a sudden, I'm home six months looking after my wife. You know, she, she was in crisis team. She tried to take a life. I've seen all that stuff, obviously. And um, I didn't initially bond with my son. I think that bond attachment grew. I didn't realize I was having skin to skin with my son and oxytocin release sort of thing. So um, my personality totally changed in our first year of fatherhood. And um, to a point where my mother-in-law came to live with us, which I'm still getting counseling for now, if I'm honest with you guys. Um, <laughs> but but on, a, on a serious note, I had a lot of family support, whether, as you know, our families haven't got that support. Well. Yeah. So you've kind of such a traumatic experience has led you to work. Your passion now is around mental health and fathers, and yeah. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I well, I suffer for five years in silence. So in the postnatal period, you can imagine how can men get postnatal depression? Well, it's depression in the postnatal period. That's what it is, really. And see, so it's perinatal mental health. So dads can suffer an antenatal anxiety. So like mums, they've got a past history of depression, bipolar, schizophrenia, clinical depression, ADHD, ASD. They're managing that before they become parents. And then the baby comes along, you've got a lack of sleep, you've got you're witnessing trauma in the labor ward, you've got a financial cost, the transition of parenthood, there's um, um, hormone changes in fathers, testosterone actually lowers during this time as well. So there's loads of factors. Um, so we're trying to break down the myths um, around postnatal depression because it's always been a myth as hormonal. Well, that could be a factor, but it's not really big, strong evidence that it says that's mostly baby blues. Um, so there's loads of reasons why parents get postnatal depression. I've talked to parents anyway. It's a, the only way I describe to my friends is if there was no baby or pregnancy, I wouldn't have had that depression or suicidal thoughts in the postnatal period, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, of course. I think for me, this isn't a topic that I, I know a lot about, but I'm learning like as we go. But I know Sonia might know a little bit more about it, like in terms of mental health support in that period, what is out there? I, I'm just curious. I was thinking exactly the same, mate, but I wonder what response you've had from people, mainly men and possibly women, uh, men having postnatal depression as well, like either men being what you're talking about and women saying what you're talking about it's me that's been through it where yeah. i'm just curious to know that yeah no um and anyone who knows my real work is it's all about supporting parents really so in 2011 nobody was talking about the dads really so if you don't support dad what happens is it impacts a mum's mental health and also it has an impact on the development of that child as well so especially in the first three years as we know it's the most important time in a baby's life that brain development so dads, you know, struggle upon with each other. And what you find with post-depression in men, it looks differently because, as we know, men suppress those feelings. So there'll be more anger, avoiding situations, overworking, underworking, drinking, drugs, uh, extreme cases of anger. And, um, and I, isolation is, most, you know, the most loneliest time in my life was doing that first year of fatherhood. So, um, yeah, it's never... I think um, the last three years... We've seen massive changes. People who have dismissed it, I say, no, Mark, we actually get it now because it's always been around hormonal giving birth. No, it doesn't matter who gives birth. You know, adopted parents, same gender couples, anyone can actually 
suffer. And it's uh, the feelings that mums get, like worried about social services or worried about not being a good enough mum. Or of course, dads all have those feelings as well, you know. So it's about breaking down those barrier myths mm, as well. Yeah. yeah, I work a lot with single dads who are the primary caregiver. Um, and it can be really moving for them when they actually speak to somebody. The, the area I work in is um, quite a deprived area and unfortunately services aren't as available. So when they come to talk to me in a high school setting and actually feel validated, uh, you know, I do matter. There is something that um, is affecting me and it's important. It can be a real breakthrough. Definitely. Uh, but, you know, modeling that to the, the son or daughter as well, that it is okay to talk about this and you are a good enough parent. Absolutely. That, and that, you just said the nail in the it's been a good enough parent. There's no such thing as the perfect parent, you know, it's good enough. And I think if they support it for their mental health, they got an opportunity to be a good enough parent as well. So, uh, as we know in the work I've done, uh, you know, relationships are failing. There's loads of reasons why. Uh, I, you know, I always say if you support all parents antenatally as well as postnatally, it just has far better outcomes. And the reason why we do this, um, the campaign I've been doing is, um, you know, we've got the biggest killer men in the 50 is suicide, yet we're not screening dads for their mental health, only mums. So. You know, nice guidelines, no mention of fathers yet. We're changing that. And um, so we have seen big improvement. But, you know, the World Health Organization doesn't recommend paternal mental health, only maternal. But they do know that it's 600,000 male suicides every year. And some of the research I found was a man is 47 times more risk of suicide as a dual diagnosis around the perinatal period than at any other time in a man's life. And the reason, because what happened is, like me, I was never diagnosed with any PND or PDSD. I was only diagnosed with actually depression, anxiety, eventually ADHD, because I wasn't screened during that time. And as an advocate, I used to come across mums who had post-depression 30 years ago in units. And when, I, when they were picked up, nobody actually asked them about their birth experience. But what, what can be done now? Because realistically, is the help out there? I don't see the help out there for males unless they reach out themselves. Yeah, no, you're right. And I've got a t-shirt on today, uh, which is Daz Matter. Uh, Daz Matter is Kieran in Manchester. It's both the yep. way it. Um, just had a conversation actually with the NHS both now uh, this morning. Um, so there's um, advocates, the advoca uh, advocates, I should say. Um, yep. There's Andy Mann's Club. There's a lot of um, different organizations out there, but. You know, it's about um, engaging with your health visitor. You know, health visitors are there for all parents, really, as well. But in mostly in maternity services, need to change with the times as well. Like you just mentioned, um, you know, single dads. There's no single dads and stay-at-home dads than ever before. And mum is in work now. Mum's in parliament. You know, in, uh, dad's at home with the baby. So, you know, if we don't get this right, the next generation is going to actually suffer. Because all that baby, that attachment and bond attachment, um, you know, you only got to look at the still face experiment on YouTube around mums and dads. That's a classic, you know. So it's about really supporting all parents. It has far better outcomes. But going back to support is we, we, we're changing policies. Um, we are changing policies and, and people have got their own pathway care, but we're still not there. But you asked me this conversation 10, 10 years ago, I would have taken where we are now. Trust me, definitely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, we're mentioning support, and so what we do is kind of provide peer support. And then you mentioned like Andy's Man Club. We run our we run our men's group. I talk about mate. We've also got women's group, and you know, peer support in general is it's like picking up a lot of that slack that's not there, isn't it? But that yeah. it is very powerful. And and imagine the role of a dad, and I'm not a dad, but it's so different now than it's ever been that there's a lot of pressure on oh. dads, isn't there? So getting yeah. them together yeah you're right you just remind me of something like you, you take it like social media you know uh you know mr jones up the road is going on holidays with his family and mr thomas down the road uh can't afford you know he's using food banks also so there's loads of different pressures on fatherhood now than ever before and we just picked on you know more stay-at-home dads but but also that that transition of parenthood people don't realize how, how tough that can be as well that identity change you know 
So if we've got fathers who are used to going to gym, a social aspect of it. And like you said, November just did a report last year. They said that one in five fathers felt totally isolated in the first year of fatherhood. And three quarters of the fathers used the word stress. And some of the reports have come out that 39% of young fathers want the support for their mental health. That's the Mental Health Foundation. And 34% of those are not with their child full time. <laughs> you know, uh, NCT did a report, 38% of fathers wanted, were concerned about their mental health. And you're not going to believe this, post depression in fathers. So the, it's always been one in 10 for years for mums. So over 74 studies in 22 continents in five, sorry, uh, 22 countries in five continents, they've done an average and it's one in 10. It's one in 10 fathers suffer from post depression. Mm. So anxiety is actually higher in fathers than depression. So, you know, some of the figures are coming out, it's shocking. Mm. What do you think, Mark, about males not quite gra grasping as a new dad, the enormity of the role as a dad and the significance of how much a dad is needed? If you think of that triangle of they start off mother and child in the womb, it's one, it's one, then it becomes a two, and then it becomes a triangle. And severing that, if you think about the attachment, what do you think about how enormous that role is and how scary that must be as a dad? Yeah, no, you're right. And we know ourselves, um, it's only the last 40 years, the men's actually been in the labour ward, you know, where uh, are they witnessing all this stuff going on, and grandparents as well. So, you know, that itself, uh, you know, the conversation they be talked about as well. But but going back, what you're saying is, you know, in, you know, there's, uh, there was a thing on um, about, um, I think, Piers Morgan, you know, mentioned about Daniel Craig, you know, with his uh, baby, uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and uh, you know, so the pressures have changed as well. You know, uh, there's more, you know, dads expected to be, you know, more in their lives than ever before. I think, um, Years ago, I might be wrong, you know, especially in our community, you know, the father, the dad would go down the pit, you know, put money on, you know, food on the table. My father's always been there for me as well, but I think we more, more fathers want to be involved with their children's lives, but come back, I'm not sure if I answered your question, right? And so it's like, uh, I think it is a massive life-changing shift, you know, the responsibility. So, so if you're just managing your own mental health, bipolar, schizophrenia, like I mentioned earlier on, and then a new baby comes along. It's not just you looking after yourself anymore or your partner, I should say. No, you're looking after another baby and a human baby, you know, as well. So, um, so those feelings can be suppressed sometimes. And then alcohol and all sorts, can, as you know, can come out. Yeah. Uh, avoid it. So like you said, with the um, uh, fathers I've spoken to over the years, and, and, and this is why I set up International Father Mental Health Day. This is not just a UK concern. This is a global concern, you know. I think Australia and UK are at the forefront of this uh, mm -hmm. compared to a lot of other countries, you know. So, and Scandinavia, they're doing some really good stuff with parents about being home or that early year, you know, being home for six months or Because I think what benefited out of that bad experience, what my wife especially went through at that time, that skin to skin, a bond attachment, you know, I got an incredible uh, bond with my son now. And, um, and my, I love fatherhood after that. I absolutely loved it. You know, I love it now still. You know, I'll always be a parent. But I think a lot of those fathers go back to work and sometimes they don't get that, uh, that, that bond attachment, which is mm. so important, as we know. Yeah, a lot, of, a lot of thing that's coming up for me lately in sessions. I mean, and most of my sessions with clients go back to their childhood. Uh, and it's so important and significant. But... It's about what role, what role do you play, whether as a, as a man, as a husband, as a friend, as a dad, what is your role? And the role as a father is so underestimated, where I think when you ask the question, what is your role as a father? It's a bit like, oh, well, I go to work and earn the money, uh, <laughs> you know, and that, that's about it. Yeah, so, yeah. No, you're no, you're right. It's funny that the modern day father and you've got the um your traditional dad. You know the um the the, the, the dad who will discipline the child, which is it's all changed now, as you know. And there is a crossover. And I, my father would, you know, obviously my my boy would probably be a different father 
uh, you know, I mean, uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm pretty honest with this. I, you know, I'm, I'm doing the dishes, and my wife's actually outside now doing the wall, you know, painting. So, you know, roles are changed. You know, there's no such of this thing. That, um, you know, we all doing different roles today. Um, so, you know, definitely. And, you know, I, I think my father was more uh, than the housework, even though he's in the pit, and my mother was more uh, a different role again. So I think the old traditional dad is is actually, we'll see, you know, oh, and you just remember something that um, um, why we, a lot of fathers I speak to talk about the experience of trauma, you know, adverse childhood experiences as well. So a lot of stuff have happened to them, you know, and, and um, obviously this is all about breaking the cycle, really, so it doesn't happen to their children as well. So. You know, I always say the quicker the health, the quicker recovery. And not for just for yourself, but you'll have a better chance of being a good enough parent as well. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, Mike, am I but no. just want to ask, But and just to, maybe it's a bit about demographic as well, because the area I work in, sometimes I feel that gap widens because people like that access the men's group and that want to help themselves will make a difference and will become a different father than that their father was. Yeah, yeah. In, in different areas where it's seen maybe um, as a bit girly if you get help or it's not the thing to do, then this just history repeats itself and these people stick within those roles so you just get, you just get the same happening. So what yeah. might be real... Uh, challenge is I can work with the child I work with usually the mother that wants to help and change but then that dad is just stuck in that role desperately unhappy serious mental health issues but doesn't know how to change because he, he doesn't know what that looks or feels like yeah no you're right <laughs> no so that's a really good, uh, good thing because I think you know my I know my son you know talk about mental health now that conversation was never there with my father or my uncles or anyone. It's, I, that, conversation, that conversation is there now with my father because I brought that conversation when I had a breakdown years later um, and I was in a really bad place. Uh, but I think um, what happened with me, my son actually uh, saved me from, I don't know where I'd be now, I'll be honest with you, uh, because uh, my thoughts were eventually would have gone into a plan because I couldn't see any way out. Um, and... Um, uh, I was working in mental health services then as well, and the reason why I didn't get the help. Um, so this is um, 2007. It was last year in I was a youth worker voluntary. I got out the sales. I, I wasn't the same person going to sales after having my son because the pressure that couldn't handle anymore. So I started uh, volunteering, going into mental health, and then working in secure units. And then I didn't get the help because I thought if it was on my GP report, I would never get a job in mental health. So, oh, so I was physically fit during that time, physically fit. So 2010, I was doing kickboxing. I was doing all, I was really physically fit. Mentally, it was impacting on my physical health. And then what it was, my mother di was diagnosed with cancer and I lost my grandfather dementia. And I got a really close family, thinking I was going to lose my mother. Basically, it was like a, a timeline of trauma. and Everything I am dealt with in my life, was coming to a head at that time in 2010, um, and then I started going to the point where I was avoiding situations, going up the woods, sleeping in the car. I couldn't show my wife I was feeling because I didn't want to impact on her mental health. And so basically, I, I didn't tell my friends and tell anyone. And then eventually, my body just shut down. Basically, I was just mm -hmm. coming out of the common days. How did that feel at that time for you? Do you know, at that time, it's like I'm a different person. I can't even get, I would if I want to get there. It's like I couldn't see any way out. I was in this, uh, I couldn't see any way out. I was just thinking, I was thought that I would be better off, my family would, without me. I thought my wife would find somebody else, my, which will benefit my son. And then I thought to myself, I just had this brainstorm moment. I thought, I don't care if my wife left me or anything. I've just got to be alive for my son. Uh, I didn't care if I lived in, with no money. I just had to be alive for him. I think, um, and that's where the old point is, you know, financial, you know, material stuff. You know, that was going out the window in the first time round. But I don't, yeah, I think money, houses, anything, it doesn't matter. Your mental health is more important for your family and yourself, well, and yourself, obviously. But I was really in a dark place where the point where, um, 
I, every day I was thinking I was going to get better, better. I was getting worse and worse. I was drinking. Drinking has always been my coping skill. Um, when I couldn't, uh, my mind was racing anyway. Anyone knows anything about ADHD, your mind is constantly racing on a daily thing. But when you had to deal with everything else, it was just going to free or fall. And I actually ended up in a community mental health services then. Um, I was in section, I want, um, but I was, um, I was put on medication. Good counsellors, which we need. Uh, we need counsellors. And uh, I was lucky to have a good counsellor and learned about mindfulness, CBT, and all these positive coping skills, which we should be doing in school, really. Um, well, sure. so, definitely. And then all the positive stuff happened then. Um, so I'm in a gym one day, and um, so anyone knows about depression. I was, the medication helped me to function, to take in the therapy, um, get back you know, in the gym slowly, slowly, slowly. I was starting to get back in the gym again. And then uh, my confidence was going because conf my confidence was shattered. Uh, you know, it was everything. Um, and then I spoke to a guy in the gym. And I said to him, um, I said, oh, can, can I borrow the weights there? And he said, yeah, yeah, I got to go to NHS Prams. And I said, oh, I said, what's NHS Prams? I said, I'm working in a, in a hospital in Cardiff. He said, oh, my wife's got post depression. I said, no way. I said, my wife had post depression too. No way. All of a sudden, side by side, I think men talk better side by side, I think. Um, um, he probably told me more things in five minutes than I told anyone, and I vice versa. I thought, oh my God, this just feels great, it says. So Brian, unfortunately, and he don't mind me saying, he lost his father through suicide, um, never dealt with it, and then his wife has severe post-depression. He lost his business house, he lost everything. And so we set up a group. Well, I set up a group called Fathers Reaching Out. And we had a counsellor. We had proper safeguardings in place at that time and then i told my story in 2011 brian told his story and all of a sudden these men would just tell us everything yeah so lucky enough um i had uh, spoke to this doctor in 2012 jane which she's been mentoring ever since and she goes how do you know this stuff mark uh, you know how do you know all this story tell her so, so i'm just talking to jane <laughs> telling me all this stuff and things and and then um so we started writing journals, we started writing academic books, and I think i uh, got one around here somewhere. Um, yeah, so we've done journals. Um, she does all the art, you know, referencing all that stuff. And then, uh, yeah. so, and it's just gone from there, really. And um, Pride of Britain had a water for Prime Minister, uh, met the Royal Family on World Mental Health Day. And uh, huh. yeah, so I think, I've always wanted to see something positive happen out of something negative. That's why I always be my attitude in everything I've done. Uh, even with ADHD, again, diagnosed with ADHD, something good has got to come out with something bad. Yeah, that, that means so much to see someone who's a role model and with the ADHD and you've used your own experiences and you've met a good therapist and, and you, you, you're taking actions to, to raise awareness, but more than raise awareness, because anyone can raise awareness you're like actually going further than that and forming peer support communities and inspiring people. And that's, for me, that's like a massive, you're like a really great role model for me personally. And oh. I, I think, I, I, like, I just, you were talking and then when you mentioned the, the guy who had the same story as you, you yeah, sat yeah. there and you were like, because you could see that that effect, once you meet, you're not alone. Isolation is the problem, I find. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. And Honestly, well, you know yourself, uh, like, you know, 2011, you know, it wasn't really, there was stuff out there, time to change was doing stuff, you know, um, there was stuff out there. <laughs> so when, when, when I did an article for a newspaper, fathers support, it was only to support, it was only to support, it was fathers supporting their partners with post-depression. There was nothing to, I didn't know I went through it at the time. I didn't know, I, it was only that at the time. But what happens was, I was finding that they were suffering themselves. And the mum was fine. They were coming to the groups. And then, oh, my God. So I started, I'm a bit geeky with the research and stuff. Like that. I started looking into it more. And that's when I went down in 2014. I dissolved the charity, passed it over to another charity. And I started going around the country, raising awareness, um, uh, lived experience, what the dads would tell me, and then added in the reports, research. And... Um, and then we changed the policy in 2018 with NHS England, with fathers. Uh, we, I just got Wales government. I've done work in Scotland. 
And um, I was lucky enough, thanks to my wife's self-funding my work, because she does, I, my wife don't get enough credit, honestly. She's, you know, she's fantastic, she is. Um, and she, my wife works in mental health now as well. Um, we I went around Australia, New Zealand, and America on my own, because like I said, I needed to get out there, um, you know, sharing, sharing it. So um, yeah, it's, it's a global concern, this is. But it's all about parents. You know, it's, it was a part of the jigsaw that wasn't picked up because when my depression happened, my wife's depression came back now. She was back in crisis team because now she was looking after me. So that, you know, so it was a basically careless fatigue, as we know, um, I've seen in hospitals with looking after patients with dementia and all sorts of uh, family members. So, you know, that can happen to, uh, you know, things. So, sorry. So, Mark, when you were, when, was it Brian in the gym? Yeah. When you were Brian in the gym and you said within that five minutes, it was more than I'd ever had. What, what was it about that relationship or that setting or... And just you two together that made it so easy for you to just connect with him I think I never heard anyone actually talk about it like like he had and then I was opening up <laughs> and it's mad to think that NHS Prams was actually founded by the lady Ale James who was my our CPA nurse for Michelle wow that's how mad it is isn't it? I know so and Gail actually said to Michelle in 2004-5 when you get better, you'd have to do some talks and, you know, because we all about setting something up. And Michelle went on and we, we carried on our lives and then five years later, I'm, I'm doing the talks. Michelle has done stuff on Women's Hour and GMTV and stuff with me and stuff like that. But um, Michelle's went, gone down the more uh, advocate, advocacy route. But going back to the question is that, um, oh, it just felt great. And then in that support group, it was, it was nothing, it was just a peer support, you know, it was like a group of guys with a cup of tea and then, I think you just say it and they walk in, you know, walk and talk, you know, I think walking side by side. I think if I was going to set something up, walking side by side is a way forward. Yeah. I mean, introducing yourself to counsellors, you know, and then, yeah, okay, oh, I like this. Because you've got to have a good rapport with that counsellor, as yeah. you know, whenever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this is what I say to the guys. I say, look, counselling works. It works. But try a different counsellor. Maybe that's not that- for you. Loads of people, yeah, and people that come to me, I say, listen, come and meet me, check me out first, see, you might not like me, and that's absolutely fine, I'll help you find somebody else, because we've got to have that connection, and you've got to want to go to counselling, because if you don't, if you're, you know, a little bit of a stick in the mud and almost proving to yourself, see, I told you it wouldn't work, it's never going to work, you know, it's 50 minutes a week, but it's actually the, the work you put in during the week as well. Yeah, I know. It is hard work, isn't it? I th- and I think with mental health, it was easy. Everyone would be doing it, isn't it? Uh, yeah. It was hard work. You know, I had drink alcohol counselling. Um, I had different types of counselling. And also then, when I was diagnosed with ADHD three years after, because I was nearly diagnosed with bipolar, and it, you couldn't have an overlap as a dual diagnosis, as we know. But when I um, had an ASD nurse, oh my gosh, that changed my life even more then because I realized why I was left school at 15 or qualifications. I was dyslexic. I was, um, I was upset, you know, OCD and the links and stuff. And so impulsive, you know, overwork, you know, all sorts, you know. So that was a big brain moment as well when I had an ASD nurse was saying, look, Ma, and then I was lucky enough to meet Tom Morgan. Um, Tom was on Undateable as he was. He's a rugby player. Uh, he's uh, aut- got autism, uh, ADHD, and um, oh my god, I'm tick now, can I think? Sorry, two ticks. Um, I'm just thinking about it. Um, so, Tom actually, when I met up with Tom and I, I found somebody else who had ADHD as well. That again was a brainstorming moment as well. Like, gosh. So, that's another area I want to go into now ADHD. I want to, you know, because I think there's so many people in prison services who unfortunately. Mm-hmm. I could have gone down that route. And I got fantastic parents, fantastic family and friends. But I was getting arrested. I was getting all sorts of drunk and solely and all sorts, you know, especially in those that seven years um, after when the rave scene started kicking in. I was, uh, yeah. And I'm coming from Manchester. You probably know about the rave scene. I think. <laughs> nah, I'm a bit young. Maybe it's on I, I don't know. I'm still a rave to you, Mark. So I know all about that scene. We'll, we'll leave it there. In the we'll leave it there. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've learned something new today. Um, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> yeah, a lot of it, like, 
bringing this back to suppose men's mental health because that's kind of where we started from and peer support being so important and our like the episode before this which isn't out yet but it's all about masculinity and men the role of a man is like very out of date like we're judging men on things that they used to be like but men are changing and the world is changing but you know this guy who runs another group in Warrington um directions for men like he's worked with ex-offenders and stuff like that and you know you look at the, the percentage of the prison population who are male and like you know getting into men's mental health will make a massive difference to our whole society because I've said to Sonia this when we've had our session it's something that's just not done like these there's guys who aren't speaking at all and you, you know it's it, for counsellors there could be potentially new clients and if someone in that group it's all about role models if someone in that group like you had that guy who uh, Brian who you both had a similar experience that's way more powerful than somebody telling them something that they might not listen to so it's all about bringing them together and letting it kind of work itself into something that was powerful the, the amount of male counsellors is tiny compared to female yeah. Oh, gosh. I, 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 I thought that uh, myself as well, because uh, I think especially uh, it's a specialism as well, especially the fathers that, um, um, you know, people don't realise they've gone through some sort of like, um, I don't know, like uh, trauma, you know, witnessing uh, the loved ones and stuff. So, um, and as you know, PDSD is a total different therapy as well. Sometimes somebody use... Um, I know my wife got treated only last year, believe it or not, with um, the um, EDMR. So, and that doesn't work for everyone. Um, if you've got more complex traumas, it, it doesn't always work, but it certainly changed her life, you know. In, uh, and so you talk about my wife's only got really treated for birth trauma 15 years later because she was yeah. diagnosed with post depression. Yeah. Massive. Mm. So, so PTSD trauma, you know, is massive. Um, and I think that, you know, one in four, it's always been one in four, and it's one in four for years, um, people with mental uh, um, difficulties, illness. Uh, but I, I think, um, you know, one in three, we know that suffer from some sort of PTSD. And you don't have to get the nightmares or flashbacks. They, they are obviously the more extreme, you know, it's an anxiety disorder. So you might get the more milder end of it. Um, but also it's about those open conversations, the more milder end, before it does, like myself, I wish I had a conversation as a new dad, because you just manifest, manifest until you got the crisis point. And that's why I keep saying we've got the biggest killing men in the 50 years suicide in the UK. It's mm -hmm. shocking. You know. But as a new dad, Mark, what would that support have looked like for you if you would have had the choice going back? Yeah, no, um, well, when I said father's reaching out, it was all trial and error, really. Um, but it could be like, uh, I've done some similar projects around fathers and mental health. like. You know, we've got football stadiums, you know, we've got rugby stadiums. Um, there's a good organisation called State of Mind, you know. Uh, they go around uh, rugby state, rugby league stadiums. Um, you know, you've got a rugby league stadium or football ground, and you do a tour of the football ground, get the people in, the dads, you know, not talk, talk about mental health in general, you know, even if they haven't got it. Let's talk about our conversation. And then as you go around, what I found, the men were coming up to me, Mark, have a chat with you after I did my talk, you know. And it was, again, that, it was side by side, talking, walking. I thought it was really powerful, you know. Um, but um, I think, um, as you know, sometimes some fathers just want acknowledgement, but they're not the only one. And, yeah. and, and some fathers may not get the help then. then. I think, Mike, you just mentioned it. It's just like a brainstorm. It'll be there. Oh, my gosh. They may not get the help, but at least they, they'll have the knowledge that they could get that help if they need it, like, as well. You know? yeah. Some of yeah. these fathers... I've gone through the life without being ever knowing they could have, you know, had I see you wearing the, the Dad Matters t-shirt there and I spoke to a guy who works for them, not the main guy, but about maybe, you know, like working alongside them and, and you know, anyone who comes with a more general, who wants to join a more general mental health group, like, then they could come to talk about me or Andy's Man Club, who are obviously the most well-known. And, but Dad Matters, I, I didn't know a lot about them until about six weeks ago, but I think in Greater Manchester, they do really great work. Yeah, definitely. Uh, um, I'm an honorary. He's, I was up in Manchester. I met him, um, I've met him a couple of times, obviously, uh, just a talk, but it was actually across the road in, by the Lowry, you know, a, a cafe over there outside uh, of pub it was, I guess, uh, and he gave, he's a, you know, an honorary uh, Dad's Matter champion. So I thought, well, you know, uh, it's all great. But you're right. I think, I think, 
and what I'm more person centered, so what works for you might not work for me. It's finding out, and I think the more old model is our medication counseling. We know some people need our medication, some people don't, some people want me both, whatever. It's about finding what works for you, and that can make take a bit of time. Same like my wife, 15 years later, we found that uh, EDMR worked for my, my wife, Michelle. Um, and like you said, it's finding out what works for you, a good counselor. I think counseling is definitely always there. You know, we should have counseling even if we're not going through depression or anxiety. Why do we have to wait? Um, we should be having, you know, having an employer say, yeah, I'm having a counseling session. Let's be open about having counseling as well. Yeah, I said about maybe combining it with gyms. So say, hopefully if I have my own practice, if I keep seeing Sonia and she keeps pushing me then, yeah. But <laughs> like putting a room in a gym, right? So you, you get your membership. Why can't you then get a certain amount of counseling sessions? Because it's just putting it in the bracket of health. So going back to Instagram, if I put men's health on a post, not men's mental health, if I put men's health on a post, more people follow it because it's men's health and it's not mental health. You know, so you just because it, it's just health. But this yeah. is where it ties in with counselling. I bring Sonia back in in person-centred, you know, theory. It, it, it's not about giving them advice, and and it's like I knew I had all these things that I do now. I had them inside me always, but I couldn't see them. That's why I had to go and see a therapist. And it took me a long time. But then when it did happen, it happened very very quickly. And and that's what I want to do for other people. What, what would you say, Sonia? Yeah, it's only yeah, no, it's like exactly, exactly. Uh, I just when I listen to you, I just feel really proud of you. You just worked so hard and done so well. And you know, it is have I facilitated that what you've done the hard work. I've just been that mirror. So and it because you wanted it and you were happy to put yourself out there and take that risk of being vulnerable. Yeah. So. It's it's hard to see. I mean, say we've got about twenty guys who come regularly or you know, on and off to our groups. And, and I can see that there's some of them and that they're approaching it, but it's not for me to push that. Whereas there's two or three of them and you can see they have, they've, they've made themselves vulnerable. And I'd say I've just been there for them and it's not strictly counselling, but I will be a counsellor one day. And even saying that out loud, I don't like saying that out loud because it's a bit like, oh, but you know. No, no, no you're right, Mike. I, and it's, on, it's like, I, my model has always been coaching, you know, when I sort of coached, you know, I actually just take another path. That's all I do. That's all I've ever done. Um, you know, I say, look, you know, and how I communicate with a dad or mum as well, you know. So I, I would say, okay, so um, I give an example. I say, look, um, oh, I'm going to anxiety, Mark. I'm fine. So you drink more since the baby was born. Uh, well, I am actually, yeah, drinking more. I'm drinking more than I should. Okay, so how much you're drinking, blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden then, um, I'm leading down the path. I'm saying, oh, well, so why are you drinking more then? And so I can't sleep at like Mark. I said, yeah, I know it's hard. And I, I was exactly the same as my son. And I said, yeah. And then all of a sudden, they'll come up, yeah, you know, I'm really anxious. Boom. Got him. And then um, I say, okay, so well, when, when do you want to go to the GP? Monday, Tuesday? Um, and they say, uh, okay. I never open any questions, you know. That's peer support, isn't it? That's peer support. Like, yeah. I'm posting them, but being there for them if they need you. Definitely. Mm. Definitely. Yeah. Pass them on, to, you know, uh, because, like, like I said, I, it's way you know, don't want to talk too much sometimes because obviously you don't want to trigger them off as well. So, being aware, um, so I that's why I've always had a counselor and other people, you know, um, to make sure I say, Look, we're having a conversation. If I do trigger anything, or at least you've got a counselor or somebody to go to and to make sure, you know. Yeah, I'm very passionate about building networks, and I'll consider you now part of the network, Mark. And I, I think this is great because you know, we can't do everything. But if no. we know people who provide the other part of the network, like I know Sonia, I know people, like that, that's all it is. That, so no one is isolated and no one is, is suffering. And that's, I suppose, why we do the podcast. So hoping to put an event on in the next few weeks where we might get some speakers and I'll let you know about that because oh, yeah. the message, what you've got there is just, it, and it's because it's you as well, because you're the role model and you're authentic. And that, that's really important. Oh, uh, do you know, it's, it's just a valid talent, isn't it? And, uh, speak fast. <laughs> um, I, do you know, I, and I think isolation, um, you know, still in lockdown until Friday, I think, you know, uh, I think that's taught me a lot as well, about, you know, as well, my own mental well-being as well, to um, looking at things differently when I come out of lockdown. I think, I think I'm another passion I really want to start into is ADHD as well. So I want to... Let me know. 
Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. Because I think if I can inspire people to say, look, you know, I've had, I got ADHD, but I think you can you you can use ADHD to your advantage as well and make you know creative. Mm -hmm. You know, it can be very um, you know, they, I you know. If, sorry, me, me talking, over talking. Is a word that springs to mind for me with ADHD a benefit? Yeah, it is. Sonny, you know, I, I think looking back, I wouldn't have gone halfway around the world. You know, I, you know, I remember giving my job when I was uh, twenty-one or twenty. I went travelling on, on a train. I went to work in Tenerife. Uh, things didn't work out, but you know, it's those things that I, you know, I've I, okay. The bad side is a very anti-authoritative, as in. Um, when I take, I say, I say, look, if I think it's right, it's like I'm on this autistic. I, I think my mother's on, I know she is on the autism way, spec, uh, spectrum, as you say, ASD. Um, and a lot of good things have come out of uh, my own ADHD. Look, my, my parents' side, and my, my mother's side, there's um, my cousins getting diagnosed with ADHD, you know, now, like, you know, as well. So it does interlink with... Um, family but also it can be loads of other factors it can be loads of factors why people get ADHD as well stress in pregnancy is loads of factors which I don't want to go too, too much into maybe that could be another podcast Mark we could like take ADHD as its own topic as I and as I learn more about it but before we kind of wrap it up I'll, I'll pass it over to Sonia is there anything else Sonia that you think we haven't covered or anything you want to add no, it's been really interesting talking to you. I think when I do talk to other people, because you can get set in your ways and have your community, it just, I, I find you really inspiring, Mark, and, and it's just oh, been, yeah, yeah, I've really enjoyed it. No, oh, no, yeah, I've enjoyed it, guys. I didn't realise the hour's gone as well. It's, it's, hey, it's flown by. Oh, yeah. No, I've